Introduction Welcome to Multifarnham, a charming village nestled amongst the rolling green hills of northwest Meath. This picturesque landscape with its deep lakes, vast bogs and undulating hills was shaped by mighty glaciers over 10,000 years ago. As the ice receded and the climate grew warmer, Mesolithic hunter-gatherers made their way to this fertile area. Little survives of these people except the scattered remains of their stone tools, which were once used to build shelters and hunt wild animals. Further evidence of Multifarnham's long and rich history of human occupation can be seen all around you. Many of the small islands on the lakes around Multifarnham are actually man-made cranogues, and the fields surrounding the village are dotted with fairy forts or ring forts, which once housed medieval farming families. Besides the ring forts of the Gaelic Irish, you will also come across artificial flat-topped hills, known as moths, which tell a tale of invasion right in the heart of the village. The descendants of the invaders who built the moths became powerful landlords in the area. They helped shape Multifarnham and contributed to many of the churches found in and around the village. During the Reformation, these powerful families put their reputation on the line by allowing the Franciscan friars to preach the Catholic faith to the local population. This spirit of rebellion was continued in the 1600s, when Multifarnham became one of the granaries of the Catholic Confederate Army. The village's fields were used for sowing crops, large ovens were built to bake bread, and local boats delivered food to the Confederate forces of Westmeath, Longford and Cavan. When the commander of the English troops in Drogheda heard about what was happening in Multifarnham, he ordered his men to burn all the corn and houses in the village and surrounding neighbourhood. Despite this, Multifarnham survived and was rebuilt. Like many other villages across Ireland, Multifarnham suffered during the Great Famine. In 1841, four years before the famine began, 6,630 people lived in the barony of Corkery, where Multifarnham is located. Fifty years later, in 1891, that population had halved to 3,114. This severe drop in population was not just due to death, but also mass migration, as people tried to escape the effects of the famine. Many of the families in Multifarnham left all they knew and started a new life abroad. Some settled over 11,000 kilometres away in Argentina. Supposedly, descendants of these immigrants can be heard speaking English with a Westmeath accent to this day. Besides its rich history, many colourful characters have contributed to the area. One such character was Dudley Bradstreet, who lived an intriguing life that involved captaining a football team, acting as a government spy 
and claiming to have the power to converse with the dead. Dudley spent his final years in Multifarnham running a brewery and publishing books which modern scholars have commended for their sympathetic treatment of female characters. Dudley died in 1763 and is thought to have been buried in the village friary. We will hear more about the village's colourful characters on our journey today as we walk the hallowed nave of the Franciscan Friary and stroll through the leafy shade of Donor Wood. We will also see the village's charming 19th century architecture, one of the battle sites of the 1798 rebellion, and discover some hidden stone carvings in Lacken Medieval Church. Multifarnham and the surrounding countryside is also steeped in history and enchanting myths and legends. Whether you follow the guide by bike, car or foot, be aware that the roads can be busy. So please take care when cycling, driving or walking between the various stops. For now, we will begin our tour at St Nicholas's Church in the heart of the village. St. Nicholas's Church and Mott. Behind the grotto of the Blessed Virgin Mary, you can see St. Nicholas's Parish Church. This limestone chapel was built around 1830, just after Catholic emancipation was introduced to Ireland. Before this, Multifarnham and the rest of the country suffered for centuries under the discriminatory penal laws. These laws curtailed the rights and religious freedoms of all those not belonging to the Protestant Church of Ireland. Depending on where you lived in the country, these laws were enforced to different degrees. Here in Multifarnham, some leniency was given, as records show there was a temporary barn church on this site before emancipation came into effect. Locals have attended St. Nicholas's Church for over 190 years, celebrating baptisms, weddings and mourning funerals. Take some time to wander around the interior, which is Gothic Revival in style. This style can be seen in the delicate plasterwork, pointed arches and beautiful stained glass windows depicting biblical scenes inside the church. Some of the stained glass windows come from the famous Harry Clark Studio in Dublin, which was renowned for its vibrant and colourful designs. The external bell tower is believed to have been added in the 1860s. Previous to this, the church bell was suspended from an old ash tree that grew on the nearby mott. To see this mott, Make your way outside, to the back of the church, where you will find a flat-topped hill. This hill, or mott, was constructed around 800 years ago by Anglo-Norman soldiers, predominantly from England and Wales. They initially invaded Ireland in 1169, 
and quickly set about creating these artificial hills on top of which they built wooden towers. The towers acted as both accommodation for the new settlers and as necessary watchtowers for Gaelic-Irish attacks. Over the following centuries, the Anglo-Normans abandoned these wooden fortifications for safer and more impressive stone castles. The wooden towers and surrounding walls simply rotted away over time and all that was left standing was the hill. When you are ready, make your way back to the road and turn left. Follow the footpath until you come to a small, well-kept graveyard on your right-hand side. St Andrew's Medieval Church Welcome to St Andrew's Medieval Parish Church and Graveyard. The remains of a stone wall and foundations of the chancel, where the priest said Mass, and the nave, where the congregation sat, can be found at the back of the graveyard. St Andrew's Medieval Church was founded over 800 years ago in the 13th century. Very little survives of this church, both physically and in the written records. However, we know that it had strong ties to the Anglo-Norman Delamere family. The Delameres supposedly came to Ireland in 1170 with the famous Strongbow during the Anglo-Norman conquest of Ireland. Throughout the 1400s, they were wealthy patrons of this church and appear to have had significant influence over who its priests were. In many cases, these holy positions were either held by the Delameres or were given to people recommended by the Delameres. Sadly, by the mid-1600s, St Andrew's Parish Church was in ruins. Though no candles light the chancel and no sounds of whispered prayers echo through the nave, locals continue to be laid to rest here in this peaceful spot. Take some time to explore the graveyard, where you can find architectural fragments from the medieval church dotted amongst the graves. When you are ready, exit the graveyard, turn left and follow the footpath back into the village. Our next stop is the water pump at the Village Green. Village Architecture Visitors to Multifarnham are struck by the quaint 19th century buildings that line the main street. Constructed from cut limestone, these fine terraced houses are part of an area of architectural conservation, meaning it is a place of special architectural, historical, archaeological, technical, social, cultural or scientific interest. Some of these stone houses have stood as witnesses to many events over the last 200 years, including the fearsome night of the big wind. On Sunday the 6th of January 1839, the people of Multifarnham were happily celebrating the Feast of the Epiphany, 
the day the wise men brought gold, frankincense and myrrh to Jesus. Later that evening, as the villagers settled down to sleep, a terrifying wind blew across the country, wreaking havoc. In some accounts, the wind was so strong it ripped thousands of trees up by the roots and sent waves crashing over the tops of the cliffs of Moor. Here in Multifarnham, many of the houses' thatched roofs were blown away during the six-hour ordeal. According to local tradition, one of the schoolboys living in Wilson's Hospital School died from fear of the hurricane winds. When the villagers dared to leave their homes the next day, they found roofs destroyed, trees blown over and so many crows dead that very few were seen in the area for years afterwards. Nowadays, things are much quieter and the houses stand peacefully looking out over the small village green. Here, amongst the brightly coloured flowers, you will find a key part of Multifarnham's social history, the water pump. Though long out of use, this cast iron pump has provided the community with easy access to clean water for over a century. Before the marvels of indoor plumbing, locals would queue up at the pump to collect water and catch up on gossip with neighbours and friends. Follow the main street east until you reach a building on your left with a stone archway. This house was once used as the Royal Irish Constabulary Barracks. The sergeant and four constables who were stationed here kept an eye on crime and escorted judges to and from the Petty Sessions in the 1800s. The Petty Sessions were accurately named as they dealt with petty crimes such as illegal fishing, wandering donkeys and drunkenness. Across from the old Irish constabulary barracks, you will find one of the village's most striking architectural buildings, the Old Forge. For years, the harsh ringing sounds of metalwork would have reverberated from this building as the blacksmith spent his days beside a blazing fire, making gates and farming equipment. All that remains now of the blacksmith's forge is the horseshoe shape of the door, which almost acts as an advertisement for his wares. When you are ready, cross the road and stop on the bridge to hear the next track. the River Gain. For over 170 years, this limestone bridge has provided safe crossing over the waters of the River Gain. The source of this little river is about 10 kilometres southeast of Multifarnham in the townland of Britis. As it flows through fertile farmland, bogs, forest plantations and the village of Multifarnham, the Gain is joined by multiple tributaries before entering Loch Derevara. Though 
Though its waters may now seem slow, in the past they flowed quickly as mill owners ensured the riverbed did not silt up and slow down their businesses. For centuries, the power of its current was harnessed by the corn mills that lined the banks of the River Gain. These mills were so prominent that they influenced the village's name, Multifarnum, or Mwilcha Farnoin, means the Mills of Farnoin in Irish. To the north of this bridge stands the Franciscan Friary, the friars of which also used the river for their private mills and brewery in the Middle Ages. Later in the 1900s, they employed two German brothers to create an ingenious turbine on the Gain to supply the large friary with much-needed electricity. Nowadays, the Gain is left to flow peacefully. Large mill wheels are no longer churning the waters. Instead, the river is home to frogs, water shrimp and native Irish birds. Take a moment to enjoy the sounds of the running water. You might also hear the ribbit of frogs or the beautiful sing-song voice of the blackbirds who nest nearby. Other birds which are commonly seen in this area include wood pigeons, sparrows and chaffinches. When you are ready, continue east and turn left at the sign for the friary. Follow the long driveway to reach our next stop, the Franciscan Friary. Multifarnham's Franciscan Friary Welcome to Multifarnham's Franciscan Friary, an atmospheric church with a compelling story. Since its foundation in the 13th century, this centre of religious devotion has been connected to the Franciscans, who dedicate their lives to the kind and thoughtful preachings of St. Francis of Assisi. Multifarnham's friary suffered mixed fortunes over the centuries. In 1540, it was suppressed by King Henry VIII during the Reformation and its lands were sold off. However, the church was purchased by a Catholic sympathiser who allowed the friars to remain and continue to preach to the community. The friars received further good fortune as they were under the protection of the powerful Catholic Nugent family, who lived in nearby Donor. Their support ensured the friars did not suffer the same harsh treatment and raids as other monasteries did. However, this special treatment did not go unnoticed in the higher echelons of society. In fact, Queen Elizabeth I wrote to the Protestant Archbishop of Dublin asking why do the friars of Multifarnham remain untouched? Over the following years, the friary began to suffer from targeted attacks, which saw the friars imprisoned, ransomed and even killed. In one instance, on the eve of the great feast of St Francis in 1601, 
the Protestant sheriff of Westmeath and his troops approach the friary under cover of darkness. The sheriff and his men ransack the church, which he described as both a nursery of all mischievous practices and a nest of scorpions. He captured a number of Multifarnham's friars and in a final act of desecration, set fire to the beautiful church. Despite this, the Franciscan community continued to preach in Multifarnham and even restored the church. In 1626, the new friary played host to a provincial chapter, a large-scale meeting where friars assembled to pray, reflect and make important decisions about the future. At this provincial chapter, the friars were joined by an enormous congregation to celebrate the Feast of St Francis. During this period of peace, the friary housed some well-known friars, including Michal O'Clearig, the chief author of the famous Annals of the Four Masters. Another provincial chapter was also held here in 1641. Unfortunately, this relatively stable period of religious devotion and teaching came to an abrupt end during the Cromwellian conquest of Ireland. The friary and the friars could no longer be protected. So the site was abandoned, with the last mass held here in 1651. From this time onwards, the friars lived quietly in Knightswood near Ballinafid. However, that wasn't the end of the story of the friary at Multifarnham. In the 1820s, when Catholic emancipation seemed possible, the friars began restoration works on the Abbey. The people of Multifarnham helped the Franciscans by contributing time, money and materials to the reconstruction of the church, which can now be enjoyed by all. Take some time to admire their work. Inside, there are beautiful stained glass windows and memorial plaques dedicated to the friars' loyal patrons, particularly the Delamares, who are believed to have founded the church in the 13th century. There are also plaques and memorials to the powerful Cusack and Nugent families, who helped the friars in their time of need. make sure to visit the Blessed Sacrament Chapel, which was in ruins until 1973. Inside this quiet area, you will see a circular altar, which was once used as a millstone to grind corn. Near this humble altar is a stained glass window that depicts the awful burning of the friary in 1601 and a persecuted friar forced to preach to his congregation outside the protection of a church. In the friary's extensive grounds, take a stroll along the banks of the River Gain and discover the impressive Way of the Cross. The path takes visitors past the 14 Stations of the Cross, which are made up of life-size statues. Behind the figures are beautiful classical arches and pillars that came from the now demolished Barnstown House. 
Once you have finished enjoying the grounds, follow the driveway back to the main road and turn left onto the Denor Road. Take the second left and then the first left after that. Stop when you reach Denor Wood to hear the next track. Dunor House Welcome to Dunor, known in Irish as Dún Úr, or the Fort of Pride. The rich lands surrounding you were once part of a private estate, owned by the Anglo-Norman Delamere and Nugent families. Both families came to Ireland in the 12th and 13th centuries and established powerful dynasties in County West Meath. The Delamares, whom we encountered earlier in St Andrew's Church, lived at Donore until they relocated to nearby Ballinafid. Later, Donore became the property of the Nugents. This family seemingly came to Ireland with the powerful Lord of Meath, Hugh de Lacey. They quickly rose up the ranks of society through warfare and strategic marriage, gaining powerful titles like Lord, Baron and Earl. The Nugents built many impressive castles and fortified houses across the country, including one here in Donore, which was described as a very handsome English-like house with an orchard adjoining it. During the Reformation, the Nugent family remained Catholic and managed to hold considerable power and influence in the Midlands. So much so that Multifarnham's Catholic friars were able to preach freely to the community under the Nugent family's protection. They also maintained a close friendship with the Franciscan Bishop Brady. According to some, Bishop Brady acted as a connection between the family and the Duke of Parma, who was heavily involved with the Spanish Armada. The Nugent family were also involved in the bloody 1641 rebellion, which saw unprecedented levels of sectarian violence throughout Ireland. Despite their rebellious nature, the Nugents kept their lands in Donore and replaced the older English-style house with a more fashionable Georgian mansion in 1790. Over the next 200 years, Various family members got involved in politics, fought in the Crimean campaign and contributed to Multifarnham's relief committee during the Great Famine. A member of the family, Sir Percy Nugent, was also a director for the Great Western and Midlands Railway Company of Ireland. This company funded the building of the railway line that connected Dublin to Sligo. The route which passes Multifarnham village, is still used by commuters to this day, and we will cross its tracks later in the tour. In 1957, the Nugent family sold Donor House and its lands to the Franciscans, under the condition that the stately house be preserved. Donor was later resold to the Land Commission, who divided the estate into smaller plots to resettle farmers from the west of Ireland. Unfortunately, Donor House was seen as a danger to the public 
and was later demolished in the 1970s. Now all that remains of this fine house are the stables which can be seen in the fields to your right. When you are ready, continue on this road through Donor Wood until you reach the shores of Loch Derivara. Loch Derivara. Westmeath is known to many as the Lakeland County. With almost 22,000 acres of land covered by freshwater lakes, it is easy to see where this nickname comes from. The village of Multifarnham is surrounded by many lakes, including Loch Derivara, Loch Ool, Loch Iron, Loch Patrick, and Ballinafid Lake. You are now standing at the shores of Loch Derivara. This lake measures about 10 kilometres in length, but its surface area was once much larger and encompassed much of the bogland, which can be seen on the opposite shore. According to local folklore, Loch Derivara is associated with the tragic tale of the children of Lear. Legend claims that King Lear lived near here over a thousand years ago with his wife, Ave, and his four children, A, Khan, Fiacra, and Fanula. Sadly, King Lear's wife died. He married her beautiful younger sister, Aoife. This younger wife was jealous of her husband's affection for his children so she lured them to Loch Derivara and used her magic to turn them into swans. Sensing something was wrong, King Lear searched high and low for A, Khan, Fiacra and Fanula until he came to the shores of the lake. There he found four beautiful white swans who cried out in his beloved children's voices. Hearing their story, King Lear exiled Aoife, but was unable to break the awful curse on his daughter and three sons. So the children lived as swans on Loch Derivara for 300 years, then spent 300 years on the Sea of Moyle between Ireland and Scotland, before finally spending another 300 years in County Mayo. The curse finally ended when they heard a church bell ring. A. Khan, Fiacra and Fanula were then transformed into 900-year-old humans and promptly died of old age. Loch Derivara has been home to more than just magical swans over the centuries. Some of the earliest people who settled in Ireland over 6,000 years ago during the Mesolithic era also lived near its shores. Later, in the Iron Age, and right up to the 15th century, people built cranogues on Loch Derivara. These artificial islands were made by building a platform of timber, earth and stones onto the lake bed, with wattle houses on top. Generally, cranogues were considered higher-class establishments, with one here on Loch Derivara possibly being used as a royal site by the Ifiacroc Kilifor. Other cranogues on this lake 
have produced high-status artefacts, including decorated pins and even weights of Viking origin. Though most of the Cranogues are gone, people still live by the lake shores and enjoy the scenery and wildlife, particularly during the hot summer months. Many people travel from across Ireland to stay at the camping site here on the shores of the lake. Locals and visitors alike enjoy the refreshing food and drink served at the cafe in high season and can often be found hiring boats to enjoy the lake to its full. Fishing is very popular as trout and pike can be found in abundance here. Loch Derevara is also an important site for wintering waterfowl. Depending on the season, you may see a number of geese, swans and diving ducks paddling in the clear waters. When you have finished exploring the lake, retrace your steps to Multifarnham. Just after the village green we visited earlier, you will come to a fork in the road. Take the right turn at this fork and follow the road for about two kilometres until you come to a sharp bend. Take the right turn here and follow the narrow road until you see a small cemetery on your left. This is our next stop, Lacken Cemetery. Lacken Cemetery. At a bend in the road, Almost hidden from view are the ruined remains of Lacken Church. This quiet graveyard has been an important place for Christian worship for over a thousand years. In the 400s, an early Christian monastery is believed to have been built here, which was connected to two significant saints, St. Patrick and St. Cremon. According to legend, the great patron saint of Ireland, Patrick, visited this church and left an imprint of his hand on one of the stones in the graveyard. Not only did he leave an impression of his hand, but St. Patrick also left his nephew, St. Cremon, to look after the recently converted Christian community. Over the years, the early church in Lacken became deeply connected with St. Cremon, a man who is thought to have lived to over 180 years of age and suffered no sadness during that time. For centuries, St. Cremon's feast day has been celebrated in Lacken and the surrounding area on the 28th of June. Pilgrims also visited his holy well, the waters of which were said to miraculously cure skin issues. Though the earlier monastic site has faded from view, you can still find the ivy-covered remains of an equally impressive medieval church in the corner of the graveyard. As you approach the entrance to the church, look to the right to see a beautifully carved ogee-headed window. The fantastic masonry work continues on the lintel above the doorway. Turn your head up to see a stunningly carved early Christian cross slab above you. These beautiful architectural features give you a taste of what the church would have looked like in its heyday. 
unfortunately, like countless other churches, Lacken suffered attacks during the tumultuous years of the 1400s. Its peaceful friars were often captured, imprisoned and held for ransom by warring lords and chieftains. By the late 1600s, the church was no longer a place of worship, but locals continued to use the graveyard of ancient Lacken as their final resting place to this day. When you have finished exploring this atmospheric site, return to the road and turn right. At the next junction, turn right and follow the L5821. While travelling this road, you will pass by Laney Catholic Church on your right. If you have time, stop here for a few minutes to see one of Harry Clark's original stained glass windows. At the end of the L5821, turn left and follow the N4 for a few minutes. Whether you cycle, drive or walk, be careful on the N4 as it can be very busy. Take the next left turn up the L1820 towards Multifarnham. Our next stop is Wilson's Hospital School, which will be on your right-hand side. Please be aware that this is a working school and refrain from entering the grounds. Instead, stop at the gates to hear the next track. Before you reach the school, you may catch a glimpse of the ruins of Laney Church of Ireland on your left. This church once looked after the spiritual needs of the local Protestant community, including Andrew Wilson, the founder of Wilson's School, who is believed to have been buried there in 1725. Wilson's Hospital School Education has been an important part of life in this area for many years. Throughout the 19th and 20th centuries, many schools were built in Multifarnham and the surrounding townlands to cater to the community. The oldest school still in use here is Wilson's Hospital School. The fine Palladian building you see in front of you has quietly stood on this site, surveying the countryside for almost 300 years. Its founder, Andrew Wilson, was a wealthy Protestant landlord who lived in nearby Piercefield. Having no children to bequeath all of his fortune to, Andrew willed a bulk of his wealth to the foundation of a hospital that would care for aged Protestant men. In addition, the hospital was to also act as a school for young Protestant boys, hence the name Wilson's Hospital School. Issues arose soon after Andrew Wilson's death in 1725, when some of his nieces and nephews contested the will. This led to a lengthy legal case between the extended family and the powerful trustees of the school, who included the Protestant Archbishops of Armagh, Dublin and Toome and the Bishops of Meath, Kilmore and Arda. The dispute went on for years, but finally ended when the trustees offered a whopping settlement of £3,412 to the extended family. This settlement would be worth over £700,000 in today's money. 
construction began in 1751 under the guidance of the influential Palladian architect John Pentland and took approximately 10 years to build. The first boy registered to the school was a relation of Andrew Wilson. His name was Arthur Hill and he joined the school on the 31st of March 1761, aged 10. Arthur used his education to become an apprentice watchmaker. The first man to be registered to the hospital was another relation of the founder called Robert Wilson. Unfortunately, Wilson's strategic position on high ground near the Dublin to Sligo Road meant that it would see action during the bloody 1798 rebellion. This uprising was led by the United Irishmen, a society inspired by the events of the French Revolution. Their aim was to end Great Britain's control of Ireland and establish a republic. The local yeomanry, made up of nearby landlords and their Protestant tenants, were opposed to the United Irishmen and commandeered Wilson's with the intention of using it as a barracks. However, the yeomanry could not hold the building for long against the ferocious attacks of the United Irishmen, who were armed with pikes, flintlocks, pitchforks and sides. Though the master of the school, Reverend Radcliffe, was captured by the rebels, he was soon released thanks to the kind efforts of the Multifarnham parish priest, Father Moran. The United Irishmen held Wilsons until they lost the disastrous battle on Finnegan's Hill. Some of the rebels escaped, but many were captured and hanged. Afterwards, the victorious loyal forces burnt houses in the district and executed anyone they thought was connected to the United Irishmen. To the left of the entrance wall, you can find a plaque written in Irish which commemorates the tragic attacks on Wilsons. After the 1798 rebellion, Wilson's continued to function as a school, but the hospital was later shut down. For the last 200 years, Wilson's has been a private Church of Ireland school, but now welcomes pupils of all faiths. Both male and female students wear the founders' colours of blue and gold on their ties. Their formal blazers bear the school's crest and motto, Res non verba, which is Latin for deeds, not words. An interesting motto for a school. If you look at the gable of the gatehouse to your right, you will be able to see Andrew Wilson's crest and that of his first and second wives carved into the stone. When you are ready, continue down the road until you enter the village of Multifarnham. Our next stop is the village park across from the friary. Multifarnham today. We have now toured the historic village of Multifarnham and its idyllic countryside. On our journey, we have travelled through the past, hearing stories of tenacious friars and papist landlords. Now it is time to look at the modern village of Multifarnham, a place with a deep sense of community. Everywhere you look, 
there are beautiful flowers and well-kept streets, thanks to the local volunteers who give their time and energy to the upkeep of the village. This dedicated upkeep has helped Multifarnham to win the prestigious Tidy Towns competition in the past. Many of the villagers are part of various volunteer groups, including the Men's Shed, Active Retirement and Multifarnham's Tidy Towns Committee. These volunteer groups, along with the Community Centre Committee and local CE scheme, contribute to the upkeep of the charming community park you are standing in. As you look around, you can see some of their beautiful flowers, planters and bird boxes. Look closely at the roof of the nearby community centre to see some of the swift boxes the villagers erected for those tiny migratory birds. The community centre has become an integral part of the village over the years. Sports and activities of all kinds are played at the centre, including handball, basketball, GAA, soccer, pickleball and Irish dancing. From the community centre, you can often hear the sound of cheering crowds watching local GAA teams. Back in 2017, the village's junior club team reached the All-Ireland Football Final. This inspiring team also won the County and Leinster Championship along the way. The community is incredibly proud of their young players and facilities and often decorate the village in maroon and white flags and bunting, the colours of both Multifarnham and County Westmeath. Colourful bunting can also be found at the Multifarnham Parish Field Day, which was often held on the first Sunday in June. People gathered from far and wide to hear live music, enjoy tasty food and see who was crowned Multitask Man, a respected award only given to the man deemed to have the most skills and talents. The Field Day also offered an opportunity for children to dress up participate in games and competitions. Besides the community centre, village park and GAA pitch, visitors can also explore the community garden on the friary grounds. Here, delicious fruit and vegetables are grown by the local people. Nearby, you can also find Abbey Blooms, a botanical garden and cafe which is freely open to the public and is a fantastic local amenity. Conclusion You have now reached the end of our tour of the charming village of Multifarnham. We hope you have enjoyed your journey through time, exploring medieval churches, magical lakes and the rich heritage of this village. If you have time, pop back into Multifarnham to enjoy some of the award-winning restaurants and pubs, which offer fantastic food and a cosy atmosphere. Or consider returning to Loch Terravara to hire a boat and explore the lake to its full. In the countryside beyond Multifarnham, you will find imposing castles, ancient monasteries and prehistoric tombs. We recommend making the short journey to Tullinally Castle, home of the Earls of Longford or the Pakenham family, 
The current owner and his family still reside in the private castle, but the grounds, which contain a walled garden, intriguing forest walks and a picturesque lake, are open to the public. Beyond Tullinally Castle, you can find the monastic remains of Four Abbey. Initially founded by St. Fecken around 630 AD, this site was later developed by the Lord of Meath, Hugh de Lacy, into a Benedictine monastery in the 12th century. For hundreds of years, pilgrims have journeyed to this spot to see the seven wonders of four, which include a tree that won't burn and a river that runs upstream. The ruins of the abbey and some of the wonders are now part of an award-winning three-kilometre looped trail that can be enjoyed by all. Across the border in County Meath, you can find the impressive Loch Crew Passage Tomb Cemetery. Hike the hill to discover beautifully decorated Neolithic tombs that date back to 3000 BC. If you are interested in discovering more prehistoric sites, why not also journey to the Hill of Ushna? This ceremonial site was thought to be the meeting place of the five ancient provinces of Ireland, Ulster, Munster, Leinster, Connacht and Meath. It is also believed to be the place where the first great fire in Ireland was seen. To this day, a massive fire is annually lit on top of the hill to mark Bealtaine, May the 1st or the first day of summer, which is visible for miles around. Wherever you choose to explore next, we hope you have enjoyed your time in Multifarnham and will stop by again. Until then, we say Slán Gafoil or goodbye for now from all of us here in the village. This audio guide was written and produced by Abarta Heritage on behalf of Multifarnham Tidy Towns. This project has been funded by the Heritage Council. The script was written by Tara Clark, narration was by Paula Rouse, and the guide was produced in Bluebird Studios, County Dublin, with sound engineer Declan Lonergan and producer Tara Clark. If you would like to hear similar audio guides from other heritage sites around Ireland, please visit abartaheritage.ie.